You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, the most informative podcast you're going to listen to this week. I'm Jay Mack, live in St. Louis, joined via Zoom, cross-country by my best buddy. Hey, this is Sam out in Los Angeles saying, what's up, everybody? We've got, it, we've got an incredible show. I can't wait to get to this week's episode. We're going to talk about something that both me and you, I would like to think, know a little bit about. We've been doing it for 30 years. That's songwriting, how we do it, tips, little stories about songs that we've that we've come up with in odd ways but before we do that i would like to remind our listeners every wednesday a new episode of two tape decks and a mixing board drops on spotify soundcloud google play and apple podcast get it and i would like to tell our listeners this and sam did you know that there's a that you can leave ratings and reviews on our itunes page on our itunes uh the interface of of apple podcast did you know that uh i think i knew that and now i definitely do so it'd be <laughs> awesome if people would uh put something there yeah i mean it's just just a little just a little bit of feedback it always helps we have a facebook page two tape decks you can also email us at two tape decks at gmail.com i would like to give a special shout out to a very special listener evelyn what's up it's nice to it's nice to know we have female listeners and i believe evelyn is uh She's a relative of mine, and I didn't even know she was listening, so it's kind of exciting to find out people are listening to the show. Her favorites is is the Danny Weir UFO episode. Uh, that is so amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Evelyn, for uh, for letting us know that you're listening. Um, we sure do uh, appreciate it, and that's one of our favorite episodes, too. That was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I've, w- I've listened to it like three times. My little boy loves it. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that subject again soon, I think. Well, apparently, uh, I think he had the time of his life, so maybe we can get the great Danny Weir back on the show again. I, I guess we can. He's he, he's willing to talk about anything. He's a musician. He's a a, a, a wanderer, a thinker. So we could probably have him on and talk about just about anything. You want you want to you want to drop a little B side uh, info on him, Sam? Yeah. So J Mac, you're talking about B sides. That's a we have two of those out now. Uh, every Saturday. We started posting um, some of the outtakes or just fun things that maybe got cut out of a show or that was just, you know, maybe something, a a conversation we had before we actually started recording or just little random musings. We put those into extra content. It's like the bonus section on your DVD. And every Saturday you can take that. They are usually like five to ten minutes long. They're pretty uh, easy listen. You know, sometimes it might be longer, but it's just fun. Right. Besides. It's fun stuff that we couldn't necessarily build a whole show around, or I guess we could if we really wanted to. But it's just like before we start recording, me and Sam are like, how you doing? What's going on? And we always kind of just warm up by talking about something weird or funny, something that maybe that happened to us, something that we saw on TV, something we listened to. So, I mean, I got to tell you, the B-sides are absolutely fun to do, and I think they're an easy, digestible thing that people can just – maybe if you don't have an hour, you just want to hear a little two tape decks in your ears, you can just – uh uh, listen to the b-sides so sam you want to explain you came up with the idea for this week's show and i think you have a better handle on how to explain what we're doing and you, you also had kind of a quote from dylan or at least a, you could paraphrase paraphrase a quote i guess if you can't find it 
Uh, well, definitely. I mean, there's a lot to be gleaned uh, from Bob Dylan. Um, he could be a polarizing character for a lot of people. I know people that, that just really don't like his music. Um, but, you know, I think he's generally, you know, regarded as probably the greatest songwriter, at least, uh, you know, in the last 60 years um, or however, how long he's been uh, at it, what he does. But I mean, um, yeah, I just I figured we could talk about songwriting, just kind of have a, a, a candid conversation about, you know, our ideas on songwriting. You know, we started off writing songs together and then uh, we went and uh, did other bands. And I know I've done lots of different genres of writing. And, um, but there's a lot of things that come down that are pretty similar about uh, approaching a song, for sure. I believe I remember the first song you ever wrote. Oh, yeah. What was that? The Price. I think you're right about that, sir. That is the first song that I ever wrote. Um, you know what really opened up songwriting for me, though, was uh, in it was the summer that I turned 15. Uh, I brought a guitar with me on a two week road trip that my entire family went on um, uh, to Colorado and we lived in Missouri. So it was a good long drive. And we were visiting family out there. And, and I decided on that trip uh, that I, I really wanted to learn how, how to play guitar. By that point, I'd been only playing piano mostly. I knew a couple of chords, but I didn't really spend any time on it. And within that two weeks time, I w had written two songs on the guitar and it just kind of skyrocketed from there. And you know what I think one of the biggest reasons for me, guitar connected more for songwriting. What's that? Because it's a lot easier to carry around than a piano. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, that's the thing about pianos. If you're lucky enough to have one and I have one, it's kind of out of tune. It's great. But if you're on, on the road, you can't, you can't lug a piano with you unless you're like Elton John or something. You know what I'm saying? I played uh I I played in this band in Dallas uh for for the better part of a summer uh, a few years ago and when I was in that band I played Fender Rhodes and uh I lugged that thing around to so many shows. Oh god. Re you know, we just went into so many like different places on the road and carried that thing up of, you know, two three flights of steps. Like that thing was a beast. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I started on the guitar. I pretty much only play guitar. I, 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 I obviously play sitar, but I don't really write songs on sitar. It's sitar is more of a, of a mental thing. It's, I mean, it's, I guess it's more of a spiritual experience when I play the sitar. So I'm not really in songwriting mode when I play it. Now I do love to add sitar to things, but when I'm just playing sitar, my mind is concentrating on the rag I'm playing, which means the scale the the technical bending and things that you have to do <clears throat> but i do i do play a little bit of piano but i was always been a guitar player and the first song i ever wrote which you, i don't think you ever heard and you, and you 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 never will at least live on air it's called it was called i love you i guess i was this was before i knew about the larry norman version yeah yeah and it was me banging on my dad's old yamaha acoustic guitar screaming at the top of my voice I love you. I love you. I love you. I do. That's that. That that was the hook. That was the, that was the chorus. That's a good hook, man. That's been used quite a bit. You know, I mean, it might be a little bit recycled, but it's a good hook. Well, and I remember playing till my fingers were literally shredded. Um, and being very impressed with myself at the time, <laughs> so much so that I made everybody that I knew listen to this song. I love you. And it sounded like if you can imagine Kurt Cobain, 
when he was 14 screaming at the top of his voice with a cheap guitar. I think maybe maybe I was Nirvana before Nirvana was. <laughs> yeah, you live that dream, buddy. <laughs> but I quick I, I quickly realized that if I was going to continue to play guitar, I was going to have to come up with better material. When you when you when you're over here next time, I'm I'm going to play it for you, dude. You yeah you you got to have a few glasses of wine because you're gonna you're gonna laugh your your tail off when you hear this song. But songwriting for me has always been kind of uh, it's very intuitive. There's no way to really explain how it happens. Well, I think that you brought up a really good thing that you just danced around there. Um, they were talking about like this song, you know, and I was kind of joking about, you know, living that dream because when you're, especially when you're that age and you're writing, you're not really thinking too hard about, is this good enough or how I'm going to learn this all? It's all brand new and you're just going for it. Like, you're not going to hear, I have tapes and tapes and tapes of my first songs that I started writing when I was a teenager and they're terrible. But if there's one thing that I want to say, especially to an aspiring songwriter, one of the first things that I think of is to just start writing um, and not worry about if it's good or not. There's so many songs, by the way, that have turned into really great songs that start off as total shit songs and like kind of placeholder lyrics and things like that. Um, But then it kind of develops into something else. And sometimes you know, you've you've heard about that um, that theory. Uh, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell talking about the ten thousand hours. Like when you put ten thousand hours into something, then you can become uh, an expert. I think is what it is at it, and that's a really good, uh, really good uh, methodology and approach to it. It makes me think of the Beatles playing in Hamburg. Yes. Right. Yes. Like before they became the Beatles, they played day and night, like ridiculous amount of shows and just really cut their teeth and they were strong and knew how to play together before that ever happened. That's their 10,000 hours. Well, so you just got to start it. Some people would say, just be messy. Well, John Lennon, I believe later said that some of their best shows were never recorded. I believe it was Lennon. I guess it could have been George, but I have a memory of Lennon saying our best shows that we played together as a band were never recorded because they were in Hamburg when nobody was watching. There were nothing but drunks and strippers in the bars. And we just played like there was no tomorrow. Yeah, because, you know, they were on drugs, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they probably remember it, but it was awesome. And they're just like, ah, hyper run around the stage. You know, it was probably fun, though. I mean, that that is rock and roll right there. I mean, that's the ultimate rock roll. That's like when the Beatles were wearing, like, all leather on stage and, like, you know, like, looking like Teddy Boys at that time period. Like, but the point is, is that they just they just did it, you know? And it's the same thing that we did. Like, if we go back through and listen to some of our old tapes – it's 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 pretty embarrassing but you have to get through that stuff like you have to practice um even if you have talent you have to put the time in and practice because it gives you a better uh achievement and a better control over what it is that you want to do you know what i'm saying it's just like being a painter nobody starts with hey jude you got to start somewhere you got to start with don't bother me or um or in my case i love you i've talked at length about my my terrible early recordings, but you're right. It wasn't so much about what I was recording and writing. It was about, it was about that I was recording and writing. I know for me, a lot of my, a lot of my early songs were nothing but kind of like book reports, you know, like back in school, you'd have to do the book report, book report, book report, book report. And you don't understand why you're doing it until you get older and you're realizing they're, they're teaching you to read and comprehend what you're reading and be able to enunciate it and explain it to somebody else. That's kind of what songwriting is. 
it takes there's there's going to be some rough ones and just and, and just take the rough ones for what they are save them don't let anybody hear them till you're successful and then you can <laughs> then, then then you can make an anthology and you'll be a millionaire that's right um it's so it's 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 really so true like in doing that too in the practice of it is when you'll start to find what your specific voice is too you know and a lot of people do it in different ways you know um i but i have a question for you yes um that i'm, that I'm curious about uh so when you go to write a song um how is it happening for you these days like because i know for me it happens multiple different ways and it almost seems like there's seasons sometimes but like Here's what I mean. So when you're going to write a song, do you write down the words and you write all the words first and you go and write music or do you write the music first and then write the lyrics to the music or does it kind of happen both at the same time? Like, what, how does that usually happen for you? I almost never get the words first. I might have a thought in my head of what I want to write. Like I wrote a song for my late friend, Adam Schumer, who died in 2016. Rip. And I had an idea. I felt like he was a ghost in my head. I felt like I heard him in my head. Not literally, but I was. I had all these memories playing on loop in my head after he died. He died very young. And um, I started with the title, but the next step was a beat. A lot of times it starts with a beat for me. Um, I mean, there, there's got to be a, a, a seed of an idea there somewhere. But yeah. I've, I've got a, like drum loops and drum machines, and, and that's where I find... Um, in the past where I usually find a riff to then build on. Um, but the lyrics almost never, ever come first. How about you? Um, it can happen multiple ways. I definitely, um, it, it kind of depends on the context too. Like, for example, the last band that I was in um, in St. Louis was called Saturn Five Rockets. And that was very much a band where we would just get together every, all five guys. We had three guitarists, three, three electric guitarists, a bass player who was technically a guitarist first and a bass player second. And one of the loudest fucking drummers you've ever heard in your life, <laughs> uh, Brian Pollard, who's a, an amazing drummer, Brian and Pollard on the drums, uh, Matt Petney on the bass, uh, Jared Oliver on guitar, Jimmy Britton on guitar. And then I was on guitar and I sang just want to give those guys a shout out because we spent like five years together and they are good dudes um hopefully they they uh hear that um but we would just get together and we would just start riffing right and we would uh or actually what would happen even more often is jared would come in um and we're gonna have jared on the show soon jared would come in uh with uh you know the bulk of an idea for a song we would just start workshopping it and then we recorded. We actually recorded um, like a lot of the uh, of the music and albums that we made. We recorded all the music first, and I didn't I didn't have the words while we were in the studio recording the music. So that was very much so. The music would come first, and then the lyrics. I have times now where like the lyrics come first. I have an example, and we're going to play a couple examples of some songs here. I have an example. I had a, a an outline of a song, but I didn't have the verses. I only had the chorus. And I was feeling really ill one day, and I couldn't I couldn't play the guitar, could barely get out of bed. And I'm like, how can I use this time productively when I feel so useless? So what I did yeah. was I kind of measured out in my head the structure of where I, where, where I wanted the verses to go, and I came up with the verses 
while laying flat on my back, having a lot of trouble moving, and feeling like dog crap. And I got to tell you, when you when you hear these lyrics, you can hear my emotion coming out. But I wrote it not with not without an instrument in my hand. That's the thing I guess a lot of people don't realize. Maybe you're not a musician. You can still write songs. You don't you don't need an instrument all the time to write songs. So you want me to play an, play me play you that clip, Sam? Yeah, I definitely want to hear this. So this is a song that you wrote. Like so so this is coming from somewhere deep for you. Like this is like you know this is coming from like a real life experience that you're you're putting pen to the page to try and say something, right? Right, so it's called Head Down Blues, and what you're going to hear, what you're going to hear is the chorus I wrote previous to this, but, but the but the rest of the song I wrote laying flat on my back, not able to move. Baby, I've fallen down with the weight I carry on my shoulder. Maybe my dreams have died in my head as I've got. Head down, head down I keep my head on down Head down, head down I keep my head on down I've been a thorn since the day I was born I guess I was just a bad seed Sometimes life is a beautiful just a damn weed Head down Head down I keep my head on down Head down Head down I keep my head on down I've been broke down Since my wheels hit the ground Rust is holding me together Flat tires and a busted light and holes of worn to my leather. Head down, head down. Keep my head on down. Head down, head down. Keep my head on down. There you go. That's the demo version. Now, the, fi- the final version, which we won't play here because I like the demo so much, I want to leave people with that. That was the genesis to something that turned out to be very Rob Zombie, Nick Cave. But it's almost very Stonesy there. It's kind of like a like a Stones exile on Main Street. Can't you hear it? Yeah, man. I, I actually kind of want to just hear, uh, if you don't mind playing, a little clip of at least the chorus from the version that actually we ended up working on because I do think that there's a really cool thing here too, that you actually see, like when you listen to the Beatles anthologies, like when you listen to the first demo version of strawberry fields and then each subsequent version, you can see the progression and growth of the song. And by the time this song made it to me and we started working on it together, you had changed the the lyrics to the chorus. Yep. I did because I think because I changed the key of the song and I wasn't, I, I had more to say and I felt like, uh, I felt like, if I, I had an extra chorus. Now I wrote the this song was written in three parts. One when I was feeling good, two when I was feeling horrible, three when I was feeling good. So it's kind of all sandwiched in. So I'll just play that and I'll clip out the best part that for the for the edit. Yeah, man. 
do it because it's I, I think it's cool to see how um it's also like a song sometimes you work it over and you and you kind of you know songs need to be developed and and you might have the, the initial thing but don't be afraid you know and here's here's why um and i did this more when i was a young songwriter and i still hear people say this sometimes they write a song and then that's just set in stone at that point and they're like well that's the way it was and i was inspired to write it Sometimes a song just drops out of the sky and it just writes itself. That happens. And you have to be quiet to listen for those times. But sometimes you get most of it and you work it over. And I saw this, this, the song is a good example of that. Okay. So I'm going to play you the finished version. think it's it's just really cool how it you know it just progressed um it did it did it evolved from a simple acoustic detuned sloppy playing guitar riff with me just kind of singing a real low to like this kind of alice and change hey 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 it's in that was that was your production like i said you took it you took what I did and made it go in a completely different place, and I love it absolutely. It's one of the favorite, my favorite things I've ever done, and that was really the first start when we were like, we could probably do some shit together. Yeah, man, um, it's a great song. Like when when just just listening to what you had recorded because you had most of it recorded, and I was just gonna mix it, and then when I got the idea for that piano line, I was like, oh, yeah, that needs just something real heavy and dark and sinister sounding on that and just it's just a great song man really really nice job writing that thank you and also proves that you know that we, we we know a little bit of something about what we're talking about tonight well let's talk about one of your songs well i was going to bring up you mentioned earlier this quote from bob dylan and i looked forever to find this article and i i, I couldn't find the article uh in time I lost my bookmark so i'm going to paraphrase the idea but it had all these different quotes about Dylan and the way he approaches songwriting. And, and one of the things that he talked about was like, sometimes all it takes is just the first line. And then if you're quiet and you listen, um, then the song kind of writes itself. Yes. Um, I might be attributing this to Dylan and, and it might be Tom Waits or Nick Cave, ironically, because I was reading, reading an article that night that talked about all three of their different songwriting processes. And there is so much, by the way, go and look up any of those three dudes and see their approach to creating and, and, and writing. It'll, it'll astonish you some of the, the methods that they have. But I was, um, I've been working on a solo record and, and uh, I had most of the songs written, but I had this, this thought about a song and, there were some some things just swirling around as in the middle of production and writing and started thinking about like, 
you know, um, just dynamics. Uh, sometimes of like, uh, I can get tunnel vision when it comes to creating. And it's, it's really, uh, sometimes I look around, I'm like, I'm not paying attention to anything else. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I wanted to realign some of that stuff. And I was reading this article uh, late at night, um, you know, when I was uh, trying to go to sleep and I was reading this article about songwriting and it, it came, came this idea of just write the first line, see where it goes. And I was like, well, I can do that. You know, I definitely connect with that. I've been writing for a long time and I feel like a, almost a spiritual connection to writing, I guess. And I did that. I just, I wrote this line. Um, and it was even, it wasn't even a great line. Uh, it was like living out on the ice alone has a sexy appeal, I think was the first line. <laughs> it's so different. It, it so, doesn't make any sense. It's so different than what it ended up being. It is. And it was less about, um, and this is the point I'm trying to make. It was less about knowing exactly what it was needed to be said um, at that point and more about just trying to, you know, whatever it is coming down from the muses or whatever swirling inside of my brain causing me to want to create this song and write it to not question it too much, just start, just get the juices flowing, get the, the, the thing going. And, and so I wrote most of the other lyrics, just like I wrote most of the song, just kind of just going through and not really thinking about it. It was a little more poetic. Well, then I went back and I kind of reworked it. And this was one where I wrote the words before I wrote the music and I just kind of developed it further until the point where I actually um, just released this song a few weeks ago as a single. And, and uh, it turned into this song called confession, um, which is like this poetic, almost like this meta idea of things kind of, it's about songwriting, but it's also a story song. And it also is about existence and death and life. And so I just figured I'd play, play it real, real, real quick. And, uh, and see, we're kind of just kind of following this trail of thought. Do it. Took me to, and it took me to the song. It's a great this song. This production. I just got to give a quick, thanks, man. I got to give a quick shout out to, um, to Joel Dodson, uh, for helping me, uh, get this song to to the next level uh, production wise too he plays a mean guitar solo on this so here's confession Living out in the sticks alone has a certain appeal But she knew that sense of real had lost a human touch If she had looked on the top shelf, she might have found a hidden note Tucked in a Bible thirty years before It said, cover me relentlessly Mediocrity Extrasensory And I'll cover you If you cover me I'll sing a song for you Cause we're just passing through Anyhow
Rolling through the sand and dirt Swept away in a fight or flight Takes a toll on the pilgrim's plight Well, some may find significance In the stanzas of the lost poem Written from a wake at a funeral home It said, cover me Relentlessly we're all scared to see of entropy. And I'll cover you if you cover me. Cause I got eyes to see what's inside you. Anyhow, anyhow. Sat there quiet on the front step Captivated by an ounce of pain Soaked to the bone in the summer rain Reaching slowly for the good book Looking for some sympathy She found a confession that finally It said, cover me Relentlessly Cause you and me We ain't arbitrary And I'll cover you If you cover me I'm an open book We'll take a real good look Anyhow amazing dude yeah i'm really happy with how that song turned out man um i think it's you know well i don't want to uh say too much you know i i love that it can be interpreted in multiple ways of what's going on with it but uh i feel like it's one of the best things i've done so i'm i'm really it's it's just it's really cool how like um it just started off just following the muse and just let it become what it was going to become like not thinking about it too hard you know i've got a question maybe you can answer maybe you choose you would choose to leave it, leave it vague what is the meaning of sitting on the front porch captivated by an ounce of pain where does that line come from so that's a really good point to bring that up and and you know i heard something recently um it was an it was an interview with uh singer songwriter jason isbel who's one of the greatest songwriters around right now. He, he wrote that song. You might know it um, called uh, maybe it's time that was on the uh, a stars born soundtrack. He has a band, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit and just tremendous songwriter. One of my favorite songs by him is a song called elephant. And he was, 
he, but he was doing this this the this Rolling Stone podcast interview about songwriting, and one of the points that he brought up was, um, is that songwriting is based on a true story most of the time. Like it's fiction. It's it's about multiple people. It can be about multiple things. And uh, um, you should listen to um, his interview. Um, I don't want to speak for him, but I just that really astonished me and like was a good point to bring up. Like because people sometimes they listen to a song and they're like are you are you writing about something real like you know like maybe when john wrote norwegian wood he wasn't really writing about a literal a literal affair but it was like a metaphor for something else you know and so for this song um i just saw that picture of this 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 woman um being captivated by an ounce of pain i i keep it vague um i know what it's about but i'm curious what you get from it I'm going to go dark here. Okay. I think she was an addict. I think an ounce of pain could be a euphemism for any number of maybe, I mean, my thought went to like heroin, but it also could have been, could have been alcohol. And it wasn't until she gave it up that she was able to, she confessed to that weakness that, she was able to unburden herself and free herself from it. That's, 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 I mean, I don't know if that's in any way, shape or form what you meant or even vaguely intended, but that's kind of what I thought. I think that's an amazing interpretation of that, man. Um, It is about those things. You know, like a lot of the songs I like to write is they have multiple meanings to it. I've always been a huge fan, um, like him or hate him of Bono's writing. Um, where he's able to do like this thing that I know he was influenced by guys like Leonard Cohen and various others, but he does this thing where he can write about like religion, but also sex. Like, you know, um, like a lot of the songs off of Joshua tree are that way. I just like how things can have multiple meanings in like multiple layers. And um, that's definitely there. You know, I, I imagine the story of, of, you know, there's this poem that was written at a funeral um a little note and then it was stuffed in a bible it was stuck there and it stayed there for 30 years that bible was sitting on the shelf of this this woman's um house like on, on the top shelf for 30 years and but then you know i imagine that she reached up there because she wasn't in a, in a moment of pain maybe she lost someone maybe it was a problem in her life obviously enough to make her feel that pain and then she took that bible down because she was looking for um some kind of help. And when she opened it up there inside the cover was this note. Well the done. The choruses are what's on that, on that note. Sam, I've got this theory and you've actually spoke to of this theory before as well, that songs aren't always very rarely are they created so much as given to us. We kind of take our ladle and scoop out of the cosmic vibes around us and that's where songs come from because sometimes songs and this is a case of a song your song confession is it's it's almost it's almost like it came from somewhere else um i don't know any other way to describe where that song came from um now there's a lot of me and in that song and a lot of things that i was thinking about at the time but that came after the inspiration that came during the refinement process where I could take, you know, what skill I've accrued over the years from practicing this stuff and, and being in bands and writing songs and take that where I'm at now in my life and then kind of craft it and mold it. 
but I've had moments where an entire song drops out of the sky, completely written, and 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 there it is. It's it's done. There's actually a song on my album I'm doing called "Save My Soul" that you've heard before that was written that way. It was written completely on the fly, and um, that happens sometimes. But it's 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 kind of a weird thing to describe because it sounds like this magical, some may say spiritual thing, and it is, but it also is it's coming from somewhere that might be, you know, deep inside us to the point where you don't even realize it maybe a subconscious thing too. I've had that happen. And sometimes, you know, it's, I heard Nick cave uh, say it's about like being quiet enough. Either the Nick cave or Tom waits in that same article talking about just being quiet and, and listen and letting that thing come to you, but you can't, you know, you can't only go on talent. It actually has to be, there's a practice to it. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, it does take a while. I mean, maybe maybe songs are given to us, but it takes a while to be able to find them, to hear them. I'm reminded of McCartney's dreaming yesterday. He woke up, yeah, and he kept playing the song. He goes, where have I heard this? And people are like, I don't know. Um, but maybe in that dream state, he was quiet enough in his mind to hear it, or maybe he smoked enough weed. I don't know. Uh, sometimes that helps. <laughs> Um, but, All he had to eat was scrambled eggs, apparently. So that's what was on his scrambled mind. Scrambled egg, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. For Head Down Blues, it definitely came in waves for me. But but you're right. I had to be quiet enough to hear it. When I wasn't feeling well, my mind, I, I was kind of stuck in my own brain, so to speak. I mean, it was kind of hard to describe when, you get, when, you, when you're in that state with Parkinson's. But my mind was quiet enough to get the... Been broke down since my wheels touched the ground. Rust is holding me together. It just it's a great line, dude. So that's so cool. <laughs> it just came. It just came. It came to me, but I think it it was inside of me the whole time, and that's why I think it's it's definitely a chicken or the egg kind of a conversation. Um, but well, I, without I, getting too far into you know the uh, the magical side of songwriting, which is definitely there. There's there is a practice to it, too, where sometimes I've written a song where I set out, you know, I want to write a song about this subject. Um, I did that with my friend Keith Levinson um, back last fall when we wrote the song 12 Million. We talked about it on a on a show where he came on and man, he's a really interesting guy with some great stories. And we talked about that, that we wrote a song with a purpose. It was specifically written um, to be a. Uh, you know, something that reached out to these over 12 million um, live event workers uh, and crew members who were out of work. You know, when it came down to it, there were times where we had to like let it flow so that it was still a good song and not just like, I'll just write this line and this line. But it was with a purpose. So sometimes we can shape and mold those things. And that's a that's a piece of it. I guess the thing is, is like there's not one rule or one right way to do things. It There's a there's multiple directions and roads and turns that you can take with each spark of inspiration you get for a song, I would say. And you can you can you're allowed to shape and mold that based on yourself as a songwriter. And you should, because that's part of your a unique voice. Um, but try not to edit yourself while it's happening. This is a big challenge for me. I'm always wanting to edit myself. Sometimes you need to follow a trail and then, you know, learn how to stop if you're going too far off where you're not going to get be productive, but just kind of take it and let it flow and see where it's going to go. Wouldn't you agree with that? 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, there definitely is a, a kind of a science to songwriting. I mean, I would be lying if I said that I I hadn't actively thought about how I was going to piece together head down blues. Some songs come intuitively. Other ones you kind of have to work at. And that's kind of the, the part I feel like where I'm probably the weakest at. If it doesn't come intuitively to me, I kind of I can be frustrated or maybe uninspired and give up. But the times I really do put put the screws in and just kind of like sit here and let's let's workshop this and see how I can make it better or different or stretch it or maybe take the original spark um, and bring it to a place of completion. That definitely is an art form. And that's where the the, the true songwriters uh, have a leg up on the rest of us um, because they can do it. They can either put in their head this is what this is what i'm going to write and they write it or they can just be totally inspired and do it um i, I would definitely say i lean more to the intuitive part i want to i want to point something out though um there's there's a certain thing that you said where you said a leg over the rest of us and i i think that while there's obviously some amazing songwriters out there that get their recognition um the thing about that is is like if you're writing songs you're a songwriter and we're always trying to get better at it you know um and one thing, you know, I used to be really hesitant to go back to old work and revisit it and kind of move on. And I still kind of don't do that. But in my writing lately, I've pulled out some songs that I wrote 15 years ago and reworking them and and being willing to kind of capture that spark again and see where it can go new. And on this record that I'm doing, there's a few songs that way where it was surprising that I, that the inspiration was still there and it could become something new. So some of times it's going back and revisiting some of that stuff and having the courage to kind of deconstruct what you thought was that song. And then, you know, it's the same as like a novelist having a, an editor is what it is. Like they put all that stuff to the page and then the editor goes in with a with with a certain kind of lens and helps fine tune that thing. That's a, a thing that a, that a producer can do on a record as well. Um, but you know what, you know, what makes me think of, and if you want to go back on that subject, that's cool. But I have a question um, for you on this technical side of songwriting. Sure. Absolutely. In your opinion, when you're writing lyrics, okay. Um, do they always have to rhyme? Good question. I mean, I try to make rhymes happen, but sometimes if you just got the right phrasing and, and I didn't even realize this until I heard an interview of her that Alanis Moore said, I don't think she ever rhymes. I'm sure there's some rhymes in there, but if you think of her hit songs, mm -hmm. there's, there's very few rhymes in there. And that's, that's proof that with excellent, well thought out lyrics, you don't need rhymes. So I would say rhymes help make it catchy, but sometimes I'm sure, I mean, I'd have to look back through my, stack of material that i've done but like i said lyrics trump rhymes if you if you've got a uh, something that fits the the rhythm structure and the chord structure and the melody structure and it doesn't rhyme but it sounds amazing go for it don't don't screw it up with a rhyme what about you i totally agree especially with the last thing that you said um and i would even take that a step further it's like you know lyrics are about communicating a message for that song Sometimes they can be like inferred. Sometimes you don't really know what the lyrics actually mean, even when you're writing them or when someone else writes them. It's more about painting a picture. I think of the band Yes, when they're writing like mountains jump out of the sky and they stand there. Those words, apparently to their to, to them talking about it, they didn't actually mean something. They, they liked more the way they sounded with the music. 
So that can certainly be a thing that happens. Um, but if you have something that's coming across emotionally in that lyric, and it's, it's really selling that idea where it could connect with the listener and you compromise that because you want to make sure that something rhymes. I think that it's valid depending on what you want your desired outcome to be as a song. I took a left turn there. See, it's, I would lean towards put in the emotion because that's going to connect with somebody. If you're trying to make something that, that rhymes which is a task all on its own, you should follow that as well and make that the priority. But as a songwriter that's trying to like connect with people that I like being in a small room, just playing my acoustic guitar sometimes and just connecting with the people there, wherever they're at, um, I'm not going to trade off a, a, a solid rhyme for something that's working with the idea. You know what I mean? Well, here's an example, and I'm going to pull something. I'm sure you've heard this song, Rob Zombie's Living Dead Girl. You know what song I'm talking about? Living dead girl. The end of the, each verse, there's a rhyme there, but he int- most of the song, I think the, I think a lot of the song rhymes, but at the, at the end of every verse, and maybe we can listen to it off the air, there's a rhyme set up and he doesn't take the rhyme. He intentionally, he's a pause and then he says a word that doesn't rhyme. And it's, it's a great yeah. trick because you're like, you're expecting one word and, and a rhyme and you get something completely different. With, so you kind of go, whoa, whoa. So yeah, I mean, I would say it's a case by case. I mean, if you if you're a wordsmith, you don't really need rhymes. That's why I quoted Alanis Morissette. She's so good with lyrics. Um, She's an amazing songwriter, absolutely. And, and you my- know, and, and and sometimes too, it's like um, I started to have like this challenge for myself sometimes. Like, what's the best near rhyme? Something there you that's go. Like a you know, like a like a homophone, something that sounds similar like purists of rhymes will be like, no, it must rhyme exactly. And I'm like, well, there's only a finite amount of words that actually rhyme together. So you can only say day and way so many times and love from above and sky and why, you know, those, they all come back and they can be used again. But if you can find like a certain thing that kind of like throws it off kilter, but actually rhymes in the meter, I kind of count that as a win. Rap or hip hop I should say is a great it's it's a great way to stretch your vocabulary and your use of yeah. rhymes it really does because because hip hop for the most part is based completely on rhythm not on melody so you kind of throw out the melody so to speak and not all the time but you throw out the melody so it's on you to be very clever lyrically and and sonically and rhythmic with your with your with your uh raps with your rhymes dog <laughs> The MC's voice is the instrument. Yes. Right. That's the most important part of that. And what an incredible platform. I wish I was better at it. I can produce the beats, but I that's I'm not that way. Um I just had this like memory pop in of high school, uh, where many times I would just carry my acoustic guitar around with me from class to class. And in between classes, I would walk by these staircases where like rap battles would be going on. Oh, sweet. And I was friends with a lot of them. So they'd be like, hey, Sam, come over and like give me like a hook. And so I would stand there and I would start like doing like a riff along on my guitar while they would be having these rap battles back and forth. And some would be beatboxing. One of the coolest things. I just had that. I hadn't even thought about that in a long time. But, you know, it, it is it's one of those things where it's like, what a platform to be able to say so many things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And to really connect. It's, it's really un, unprecedented. I love it. 
Think we got a show? Well, until we talk about songwriting next time and give away more of our secrets. Oh, this is going to be an ongoing thing. I feel like we've got so much to talk about. Like with songwriting, it's an art. It's a, it's a, it's magic. It's a, it's a wizard game. It's a, it's a mathematical equation sometimes. And so we will revisit this in the future. But that's all for this week's episode. I just want to put this out there too. Okay. If there's songwriters listening to this episode. And you've been like inserting, you know, you're trying to talk with us while we're saying this stuff. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. Or like, oh, I would feel, you know, let us know. Absolutely. We would love to have some other songwriters come on and have this conversation with us. And, you know, because I'm always looking for learning, you know, new tricks and tips too. Well, we are going to have some songwriters on, Sam, in the very near future. I think that sounds amazing, J-Mac. For two tape decks and a mixing board, my name is J-Mac. And my name is Sam Wade. Saying until next episode, stay cosmic.